0: Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. This is part three of our Heart for the House series. And this is the exciting part. This is the part where we put our money where our mouth is. This is the time where we gather together and make a commitment and partner together for the next 12 months in some of the projects that we believe that God has laid upon our heart. And so Father, I just pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, the work of my hands will be holy and acceptable in Your sight, O God. Won't You come and have Your way? Open the eyes of our heart. Stir us this morning that we might be forever changed in Jesus' Name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you, Kathy. Appreciate your playing there. Let's put our hands together for Kathy. If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, reading from verses 1 to 3. And if you don't, please feel free to look up on the screen. That would be much appreciated. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, Silas and Timothy. This is Paul's apostolic team. He says, To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace be to you. I love that. I'm just going to stop there just for a moment. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this man, Paul, who is probably one of the greatest apostles outside of Jesus Christ himself, who was responsible for writing many letters that are in the New Testament. Every one of his letters that he writes starts in and with the grace of God be to you. Isn't that encouraging? The grace of God. In other words, Paul realises that our Christian walk starts in the grace of God. It starts in unmerited favour. I thank God for His grace. His grace means I do not get what I deserve. What I deserve is death. What I deserve is eternal punishment. But because of His grace and because of what He has done for me, He has lavished upon me favour that I do not deserve. It is unmerited favour. And Paul is saying to the church of the Thessalonians, as he's saying to the church of victory, grace be to you. Let us never forget that your Christian walk and my Christian walk started in the undeserved, unmerited favour of God. And if you manage to be a Christian for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, never forget how your walk started. Never lose sight of the wonder or the magnitude that it's God's grace that you've been saved. Through no work of your own, this is incredible good news that we do not get what we deserve. But not only that, the grace of God is so amazing. And the reason the grace of God is so amazing is that it is multifaceted. There are many aspects and attributes to the grace of God. One is unmerited favour. Another attribute is it's the ability. Everyone say ability. It's the ability to help you do what you otherwise could not do. And Paul again starts this letter, say, hey, remember... This walk started with a supernatural ability. It didn't start with your ability. It started with His ability. It started with Him being able to do what we were unable to do for ourselves. And this grace is available to you on a daily basis. So church, never ever forget the grace of God. It's interesting, if you read all of Paul's letters, you will see not only does he start his letters with the grace of God, but he ends every one of his letters with the grace of God be to you. In other words, how you start your Christianity is how you need to finish your Christianity. We started in the unmerited favour of God. We started with a supernatural ability that's available to us to be able to do what we otherwise could not do. And let's be honest, there's lots of things that are hard to do. Granted, there are some things that are easy. And let's be honest, we all have our favourite portions of Scripture. But if we're honest, we probably have our portions of Scripture that we least like. And we always talk about our favourite verse. What about our worst verse? Who's got a worst verse? Who's got the verse they hate? Who's got a verse that they would like to rip out of the Bible? I do. I have my favourites, but I also have my unfavorites. You know, when Jesus said to love your enemies, I don't like that. I feel like I've got a brilliant case, God. They're my enemies for a reason. It's not you know, they're using my enemies because they've been nasty to me. They don't like me. They've been nasty. Have you seen Facebook lately? They don't like me. I feel justified. And God says, no, I want you to love them. So really, I can't do that. He says, I know. And Paul knew that. And that's why he wrote to the church, grace be to you. If you are struggling with anything today, here's your answer. Grace be to you. There is supernatural power that's available to every one of you who believes in Christ Jesus if you would just dare receive what is on offer. Because this I know, that unfavorite verse that you have is not going away anytime soon. You can try and pray it away. You can white liquid paper it out, but it's still gonna be there. But His grace will be sufficient for you. I don't know what it is that you're facing, but I do know that His grace is available to you. And we can use all our time whinging and complaining about what we don't like, or we can come before Him And say, Lord, your grace, your supernatural power is available to me. And I need that right now. And it's interesting that Paul starts every one of his letters and concludes every one of his letters with the grace of God be to you. Because this journey with Christ cannot start without His grace. And you cannot finish strong without His grace. If you don't start and end with the grace of God, you're not going to make it. Because church life is too difficult. Life in general is too frustrating. But God has given us everything that we need for life and for Godliness. And it's why I love the church. It's why I love the church. And so Paul says, The grace of God be to you. He says, We always thank God for you, mentioning you in all of our prayers. I, I love that thought. Can we just stop here for a moment? Paul was very aware that the church was not perfect. In actual fact, the church presented many problems for Paul, but he could overlook all the problems and say, When I think of you, I thank God for you. Yeah. Yeah. This is like the relationship between a husband and wife. You know, in every relationship, there are moments where you've been let down. I've been let down. I've let my wife down. But you know what? I can honestly say, I thank God for my wife. I'm so grateful for her in my life. It doesn't mean she's perfect. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean we haven't let each other down. But I can honestly say, I thank God for her. I think about our three children. They are certainly not perfect. They've certainly caused some frustration for us in our lives, as all children do. But I can honestly say, I thank God for them. Are there any parents who, in spite of the problems that your children cause you, I saw a photo, uh, Pete, on uh, social media recently, where there was your child, and then there was poo. (laughs) It just seemed every square inch of the photo had poo in it. And then those as a parent are just, are just frustrating. It's just like, oh my gosh, where do you even start? It's just like rub it out and start again. I mean, where do you even start? But I know in your heart of hearts, there's this gratitude where you say, you know what? That was a stinky, horrible mess. But I thank God for my children. And most parents I know would say the same. In spite of the problems, in spite of the frustrations, in spite of the inconvenience, I thank God for my children. And Paul was saying, in spite of the problems in the church and in spite of the problems that the church caused, Paul, I thank God when I remember you. And can I say, church, on behalf of Kath and myself and our leadership team, we thank God for this church. We have problems on a daily basis, absolutely, because people are there. Where there are people, there are problems. But I thank God that I can say with all integrity, I thank God for this church. I firmly believe that the church at its worst is better than the world at its best. I thank God for the church. I thank God for this opportunity that I have this morning to be able to share yet again with you all. I'm so grateful to God for you. We love you dearly. We think about you often and we pray for you regularly. Thank God for His church. And then Paul goes on to say, we continually remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what you need to know about this letter is that Paul is writing to the Church of the Thessalonians, and there's many standout qualities, but he highlights three here this morning that I want to look at. And with all of Paul's letters, he intended that the letters would be circulated to other churches. In other words, even though Paul was writing to a particular church in a particular region, he was trusting that that would then be passed on to other churches. And I believe what Paul is saying to us through the example that was set by the church of the Thessalonians is something that they modelled that he would want us to model. And he says, when I think of the church of the Thessalonians, there are three standout qualities that I would love every church to have as standout qualities. And the first one is simply this, that this church had a faith that worked. Everyone shout out faith that worked. It was a faith that worked. In other words, it wasn't a nebulous, unseen, vain notion. It was something that was tangible. It was something that was present. It was something that was seen. Their faith was seen in what they did and their faith was seen in how they gave. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's known as the faith chapter. And verse 1 simply says this, that now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In other words, Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, sorry, verse 1 is the description of faith. That's what faith is. But after verse 1 comes verse 2. Deep, I know. And every verse after that is a description of what faith does. One verse is spent talking about what faith is. All the rest talks about what faith does. It says that Abel gave a better offering than his brother. How do we know that? Because his faith was seen by what he did. Everyone say, did. Did. Noah, it says, he built a boat, a flippin' big boat. (laughs) And not only that, he had to get all these animals into that boat. I mean, that in itself is a nightmare. But we know that Noah had faith. How do we know he had faith? Because what he did, he didn't just say, God spoke to me last night. Guess what? He wants me to build a boat and put all these animals in and did nothing with it. No, he actually, for over 100 years, built a flipping big boat. And then he was building the boat because it was about to rain. But at that moment in the history of the planet, the earth had not seen rain as we know rain. So he was building this big boat of which people didn't know what that was. He had to explain what a boat was. And then he had to explain that it was for the rain that's coming and they had never seen rain before. So he's talking about building something that they'd never seen before for something that was coming that they'd never seen before. That's faith. And the reason we know he had faith because he was committed to building a big boat for rain that he hadn't seen come yet. And and then he had to get all the animals. I mean, have you ever, I mean, I've got a dog. I can't get that dog to do anything I want it to do. I mean, I love him, but he's just so disobedient. I mean, if I was Noah, that that, would not have happened, I'm telling you there would be a few species that do not exist today because I wouldn't have been able to get all the animals on the boat. I'm telling you, dogs would not exist. Come on, come on, come on. Oh, forget it, we're going. But Noah had faith and he built a boat and we know that because of what he did. Abraham left the home of his birth because he had this call from God. He didn't know where he was going. He just knew that he had to go. And he went... In faith He just said, yes. I love that. He said, yes. In James chapter two, verse 18, it says, "But someone will say, "You have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do." Yeah. Yeah. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse 13, it says, "It is written. I believed and therefore I have spoken. And with that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak. Our faith is birthed out of an action. We believe in Jesus and we confess that he is Lord. There's an action to our salvation. Are you with me? Because faith has works attached to it. And Paul is commending this church because they had a faith that worked. It wasn't just gathering together, talking about the latest ideas, but doing nothing with it. Now, these men and women, they were committed to action. They were committing to getting a job done. You know, generosity is an action. It's not just a thought. It's not just a notion. There's an action that accompanies generosity. And so it is with faith. Faith believes and speaks aloud to notify the situation of soon coming change. I love that. I love that. It's David running toward this giant of a man called Goliath. And David by faith speaks out. He says, I am gonna kill you today. I'm gonna take off your head. And he just runs toward the giant. He speaks out about future change. Anyone can go on about present problems, but it takes men and women of faith. And David just didn't talk about it from a distance. No, he ran to the problem. And he declared that change was about to happen. And I believe that through our generosity, things are gonna change. We're gonna be able to do things and finance things that we were previously unable to do because that's what faith does. It declares and it acts and things change and things move in Jesus' Name. Faith is now. We hear God's Word and we respond now. Do you know one word the devil hates? It's now. The devil loves yesterday. He loves holding you bondage because of all the problems of your past. He loves what happened yesterday. And the devil's happy with tomorrow. He loves tomorrow. He's like Annie. He loves tomorrow. He loves it. What he hates is now. You know what, church? You can't do anything about your past. And we don't even know if we're going to have tomorrow. But what we have is right here, right now. People often ask me this question, when did you know that you were going to plant a church? And I think it's a funny question because in my wildest dreams, I never ever saw myself leading a church. I never saw myself in ministry per se. I just loved Jesus and just wanted more of Jesus. And our pastor that groomed me left and went to another church. And there was this two-year period that was a little bit strange because I didn't really know where I was at. And I just remember getting together with my brother and every morning from 5.30 to 6.30, just running around his house and praying for an hour. We did that for two years. Two years. And then out of the blue, our pastor asked to have lunch with me. He started talking about my future, what it is that I'd like to do, what it is that I'd like to be involved in. And I said to him, I said, I don't really know. I just love Jesus and I want more of God. It's just a very generic, very superficial almost answer. But it was something I truly believed. And he mentioned this thought. He said, have you ever thought of starting your own church? And honestly, before God and before each and every one of you today, I had never, ever thought about it. In all of those two years that I was praying with my brother and all the conversations that I'd been involved in, we never, ever, ever spoke about planning a church. But when he mentioned it, something inside of me shifted. It's like when he mentioned it, it was like a God-drop moment for me. And I knew, like 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 I knew, that that was our next season. And this is going to blow some of your minds. I never prayed about it. I just said, yes, right there, right then, in the now of that moment, I said, yes. Because to me, that was my answer to prayer. I didn't need to pray about it. I've been praying for two flipping years. That was my answer to prayer. See, some things need to be prayed about, other than things need to be decided upon. Today is D-Day. Today is the day where we make a decision. How we are going to partner with the church, Heart for the House, 2017? We've been talking about praying carefully and thoughtfully about what it is that we can give. But this is our opportunity to respond in the now, to respond in the here and now. Now, the devil will say, no, no, you just need to pray about it. The devil doesn't mind us praying about things, as long as we don't act on them. The devil's happy with us praying. The devil attends a lot of prayer meetings. That's why they're so boring. He doesn't mind us praying. He just doesn't want action. He's happy with us talking about the Bible, as long as we don't do anything about it. He's happy with us talking about church planting as long as we don't do anything about it. He's happy with us talking about forgiveness as long as we don't actually forgive. He's happy with us talking about any godly concept as long as we don't do anything about it. And that's why we need to be people that like the church of the Thessalonians have a faith that works and not just a faith that presumes. Amen? Amen. Secondly, Paul talks about this church with an affection and he says it was a church that, um, it was a church had a love that motivated. Not only did it have a faith that worked, but it had a love that motivated. You see, their motivation behind their action was love. See, guilt is not a good motivator. It is a very effective one, but it's not a good one because it's not a godly one and it doesn't last. I'm not here to try and guilt anyone into doing anything or giving anything because guilt doesn't last. Guilt is not a good motivator. I've said it a few times jokingly. We're not going to send the boys around and grab you by the ankles, turn you upside down and shake all the money out of your pockets. That's not what this is about. We need to follow the example set to us by God Himself. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so guilted the world, for God so manipulated the world. No, no, no. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. There was an action. God wants action. But our motivation is really important. And Paul says that your faith that is seen by works is commendable. But what's even more commendable is the place that it comes from. It doesn't come from guilt. It doesn't come from a drivenness. It comes from the place of love. God so loved the world that He gave. God was motivated By love. And when you're in love, nothing is too big or too small. Have you noticed that? I don't know if you noticed, but over the weekend we had two football games. And on Friday night, the Adelaide Crows went on to win, which means next weekend they're going to be in the grand final. And what I saw on Friday night. Was a bunch of people that were not guilted to be there. They were not manipulated to be there. I saw people that took time out of their busy schedules. I saw people that paid a high price and got there way before the game started and left way after the game ended. What would possess a person to do that? To be inconvenienced, to get to a game way before it starts and leave way after it's ended pay a high price, what would motivate anyone to do that? I'll tell you what it is. It's love. It's love for the game and love for the club. And what's even crazier, many of those people that are in love with the game and love with the club are going to be even more convenient next week. As they pay a high price to get on a bus, a plane, a train or a car or hitchhike, they will do something crazy in order to get to the MCG. And they may not even have a ticket yet because they're going to hopefully bump into someone who's willing to sell, aka scalp, a ticket. And they may pay anywhere up to two, three, four, five times the price of a ticket in order to get to see the game they love and the club that they love. And then as I was talking to someone just this morning, not only are they going to go to the game, but they're going to drive through the night to be back here by Sunday because they have responsibilities. That's That's the commitment. And if I said to any of them, you're just driven. If I said to them, you're just just motivated by guilt, they say, what are you on about? What do you mean guilt? You're just being manipulated. Are you serious? I just love football. And I just love the Adelaide Crows. Of which I have no condemnation. (laughs) Whatsoever. Because I'm with you. We fly as one. (laughs) So no condemnation. And I'm not saying any of that is a bad thing, but it's a great illustration of what love does. Because love is what love does. But this is all I would say. Please, do not let your worship experience at the football. And that's what it is. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's a worship experience. It's worshipping something that you love. And you'll see people lift up holy hands at the football. You'll see them clap and shout for joy at the football. All the things the Bible says to do to God. Lift up holy hands to Him. Shout praises to Him. And can I remind us, as much of a fan of football in the Adelaide Crows as I am, can I just remind us of what the game of football is? It's a bunch of dudes running around, kicking a bag of wind. That's it. That has no bearing on any aspect of our life. It won't help your finances. It won't help your marriage. It won't help any area of your life. And so if we're going to go crazy over a bunch of dudes kicking a bag of wind, which I'm all for, just don't let that worship experience be greater than our experience when it comes to worshipping Jesus. It's amazing how cynical and sceptical and reasonable we get when it comes to Jesus. We're just, you know, just going to be quiet. Just gonna... no, the Bible says shout for joy. There's only one way you can shout by lifting your voice. There's no such thing as a quiet shout. The moment your shout is quiet, it's no longer a shout. When Jesus was coming in to Jerusalem and they threw palm leaves down, they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King. And the religious establishment tried to quiet the people down and Jesus said, no, 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 you don't get it. If these people don't worship me, the very rocks will cry out. I know about you, but I don't want to be outdone by a lifeless rock. Uh, Imagine, imagine if that actually played out. And this rock starts going, Jesus! <laughs> it's like, whoa! Outdone by a rock. See, this this isn't personality. This isn't pa- this is love. Yeah. Yeah. People say, "Oh, it's just I'm just it's just personality." I've seen some of the most quiet, conservative. Women in our church, bless you all. Bless you. So I'm just a quiet person. And you put a baby in their hands. And I said, where did the quiet conservative person go? They just got really weird. They just got really crazy. I've seen some of the quiet conservative mums with a baby in their oh Listen, <laughs> <And> they're dancing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a worship experience. He say, hey, come on, let's clap our hands. I'm not going to do that, not for Jesus. But... <laughs> Paul commended this church because they had a faith at work. And it had a love that motivated. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Why do do we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice? Why do we give in view of His mercy? Not to get anything. Not because you have to, but just in light of His mercy. In light of His kindness and goodness to me. See, for me, my Sundays are set. For me, the first part of my day is set. Because in view of His mercy, there's places I need to be and things I need to do first. Not because I have to. Not because I've been guilted into it. Not because I've been manipulated. But in light of His mercy... He put me first. I, I want to put him first. And so our kids know I love them, but when it's the first thing in the morning, it's like kids, things, it's, it's God first. In view of his mercy. Amen. Because when you're in love, nothing's too big or too small. Every mother I know loves their sleep, but it's amazing what they'll do for a young child that's hungry and needs feeding it's an amazing thing to me love changes your perspective and can I say if that is true when it comes to football and comes to parenting is it possible that that can be true in church too so let's not be cynical let's not get cynical when it comes to church because it's possible that if we're in love if you're in love If you can get to a football game before the game starts because you love the game and you love the club, is it unreasonable to expect you to get here to church before it starts as opposed to rocking in when it's almost over? Are you with me, church? And Paul also commends his church because it had a hope that endured Their ability to endure, or in other words, not give up, was inspired by hope. See, none of these things are personality driven. They're theologically driven. It's inspired by a hope that they have in God. We have a hope that knows. See, a lot of people, and I would say Christians included, confuse hope with wishful thinking. We confuse hope with wishful thinking. I want you to just think for a moment of a young man who likes a young girl, and he wants to invite her to the formal. And this pimply, young-faced kid knows he's batting above his average. He knows he's he knows he knows, and he just hopes beyond hope that she likes him. See, we call that hope. We say, "Oh, I hope she likes me." And it's not a hope that comes with any confidence because yeah. it's nothing more than wishful thinking. Yeah. And he calls it hope, but it's nothing more than wishful thinking. And so he goes over there. Yeah. And he goes, Hi, are you going to with me? Okay, sorry, bye. No hope, just wishful thinking, yeah. hoping this girl likes him. But can you imagine the young man who knows there's a young girl that likes him? He knows. He has a confidence now in asking her. Because his hope is not based on wishful thinking. His hope is based on what he knows. Because he knows like he knows that she likes him. And so he walks over with the confidence to say, Would you like to go to the formal with me? I thought you might. When I asked my then girlfriend to go out with me as a young teenager, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to go on wishful thinking. I'm not going to ask somebody out on wishful thinking. I I want a bit more guarantee than that. I I did my homework. I got my spies out. I got to make sure people had the questions and I got the reports come back. Tony, she's madly and passionately... (laughs) in love with you if you ask her to go out with you it's a guaranteed yes I did my homework and I never got skated over to her I tripped her over that's how confident I was just tripped her over picked her up on the next red lap and hey want to go on a couple skate. skates she said yes and by the time I asked her to go out with me I knew like I knew like I knew she was going to say yes that's hope because of my assurance I had hope I wasn't hoping beyond hope that's just wishful thinking. I knew something, so that, what, that knowledge that I had gave me hope. And it's the knowledge we have of our God and who He is that gives us hope. Every one of us is going to leave this earth, but our hope is that we have a guaranteed assurance of a place in heaven for all time and eternity with Christ. Because... He said He would do a few things and He did every one of them. He said, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again on the third day. And that's exactly what He did. And everything Jesus said He would do. I did my homework. See, God wants us to do our homework so that we have an assurance that we don't just have wishful thinking, but that we have an assurance when it comes to the hope that we have. And this is the hope I have. Those loved ones... That have left this earth that we grieve and miss dearly. This is the hope I have. One day I will see them again. That's not a wishful thought. That's not a vain hope. That's an absolute assurance that comes from having done my homework, read the Scriptures, and as a result, I have hope. So we're not trying to be hopeful. We just know things, and so we have a hope. And in this world in which we live, where the finances of this world are fickle, where North Korea and America are talking war, where laws right now are looking at being changed in our nation, there's a lot of uncertainty. But that uncertainty should not waver in unbelief or a lack of hope. Because all of these things that come and go, all of these things that change, do not change that which is unchangeable. And what is unchangeable is Jesus Christ Himself. Amen. Okay, oh, we need the band to come up. We need the band to come up. That'd be fantastic. Hope is certain. I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 10, and verse 32. It says, "Remember those early days after you received the light, when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated." You sympathised with those in prison and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous ones will live by faith. And if He shrinks back, I will not be pleased with Him. But we are not of those that shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Isn't that good news?